listening to Sunday Sermons from Warren Community Church. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org. We have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 9 through 20. And I have the distinguished honor of telling us how bad we are today. And, uh, but... There's hope on the horizon, I promise. Um, as I was preparing for this message, one of the things that struck me with, with these type messages and these kind of passages is it always seems hard because we know that who we are, we know that we are sinners, we know that there is the truth, that, that there is none righteous, no, not one, and we all have sinned. And so whenever you're preaching this to a congregation of with many believers in the congregation, it's like, how does this apply to us? And I want to say two things that I hope this message does today. One, if you're in here and you're a believer today, I pray that this message will draw you to an overwhelming responsibility to worship Jesus for rescuing you from sin. If you're in here today and you're lost, I pray that it drives you to repentance so that you can be saved and rescued from an eternal separation from Jesus Christ. So Romans 3, 9 through 20, uh, Paul here is wrapping up uh, the indictment that he has placed on mankind, starting in Romans 1, 18, and we walk through, and he has left no one out. Uh, we know that the Jews are sinners, the Gentiles are sinners. It doesn't matter if you're a man, woman, boy, or girl. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is, your social status. It doesn't matter how good you think you are or how good grandma says you are. The bottom line is he has shown us in this in this few passages that we are all sinners and we all deserve death. We all deserve the wrath of God. And so here he's wrapping up what we're calling the final argument. He's drawing the net in. He's included the whole, all of humanity, and he's drawing the net in for one last argument. It's almost as if Paul has called humanity to enter into the courtroom of God and justice be demanded. So here, as he begins to just unfold this, it says, verse 9, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have become, together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and God, we can't help but just thank you for Jesus whenever we read this passage. God, I'm thankful that he was willing to come and pay the the price, Lord, of our sins, and God, that it was placed upon Him. And Father, He paid a debt that we definitely could not owe. And so God, that's why in the old song, the old rugged cross, that's why we should cling to it, Father. 
because of what Jesus did for us. And God, today I pray that as believers in the room, that Lord, we'll remember where it was, God, that you rescued us. God, where we were, Lord, we were under this. God, we were running from you. We were not seeking after you. God, we hated you. Father, you rescued us. And so, God, I pray today that it'll be just a reminder of how precious and how amazing your grace and mercy and love is toward us. And, Father, for the ones in the room who may be lost today, God, I pray that they, for the first time, maybe the Holy Spirit reveals to them the, Lord, the state they're in, Lord, that, uh, God, there's nothing they can do to earn salvation. God, there's nothing that they have done, Lord, that would make you love them any less or any more. But, God, you stand here today with arms wide open, Lord, to rescue from sin, to save them, Lord, and uh, rescue them from an eternity separated from you. So, Father, I pray that you'll just, God, let my words be clear. God, I pray that you will fill me with your spirit. And God, just to preach this the way that you desire it to be preached today. And God, we'll give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. John Stott says this about human beings. He said, human beings are the inventors of hospitals for the care of the sick, of universities, for the acquisition of wisdom, and of churches for the worship of God. But they have also invented torture chambers, concentration camps, and nuclear arsenals. This is the paradox of our humanness. We are both noble and ignoble, both rational and irrational, both moral and immoral, both creative and destruction, both loving and selfish. We can do a lot of good things, but at the end, without Jesus Christ, we're all still sinners. We're all still under the judgment and condemnation of God. And so I believe that Paul would want you to think about really a courtroom scene and that that justice is there as the prosecutor and and we're all on trial today and we're hearing the final argument. So the first thing I believe he would do is read the charges against us, the indictment. And that is we are corrupted by the power of sin. Notice what verse 9 says. It says, what then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. And literally what that means is that every one of us are totally depraved. There is nothing that any of us can do that that would gain favor with God, gain merit with God, where we could go to heaven outside of Jesus Christ. It also means there's no room for improvement. We are all under sin. It means that the weight of sin, we're under the power and dominion of sin. He didn't use the word sins as in all the things that we do, he used the word sin because we're under the dominion and under the power and under the control of sin. And there are people today that tell you that if you'll think great, if you'll think positive, if you'll say positive things, that it'll improve you. But it won't improve you. As if you are under sin, the best you can do is diminish. You will know you cannot improve. Man has doesn't have the ability to improve himself. We are not just tempted by sin. We are controlled by sin. And so he goes on and he says that we have rebelled against God. And this is a problem. I don't know how you feel about it, but I can tell you one of the things I hated as a child is when I rebelled against my parents. I remember my dad worked in Memphis and my mom, if I did something wrong, she would say this, you just wait till your daddy gets home. Y'all remember that? Whoa, man, I would hide. 
Or she would say, I'm fixing to call him and tell him to come home early. That's when it got really bad. Because you knew when he come home early from work, you were fixing the... Yeah, y'all know what I'm talking about. We don't believe in it much these days, but yeah, I, I got a few whippings in my life and I'm thankful for them today, but I wasn't then. I made the mistake one time to look at my dad and he made the comment, son, I hate to do this. This hurts me. And I looked at him and I said, well, why don't you give me the belt and let me whip you and see how bad it hurts? I only said that one time in my life and I never said it again. I could go on and on with these stories. My mom was whipping me one time. I was a jumper. Anybody have any kids that are jumpers? You got to sit on top of them. I was a jumper, and I jumped up and hit my mom in the chin and knocked her out. And when she come back, she picked the belt up, and she picked up the wrong end, and she was whipping me with the buckle. And it was hurting really bad. And so I understand whenever I read this and say we rebelled against God, this is a problem. We've rebelled against the God of the universe. You have to think about rebellion can be traced back to the garden. Whenever uh, God told Adam and he said this to him, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. He made it very plain, very clear that stay away from this tree. And it's if Adam and Eve, and it's like they said, even if God told us not to eat of that, who does he think he is? Is he Lord of our life that he can tell us what we can do? No, we're going to eat of it anyway, and we're just going to tell him that we control our lives. And so in that moment that they did what they did in the garden, it plunged humanity into sin, into rebellion against God. And so often we think about our sin as not being, oh, you know, it's a small sin. It's really not that bad. But I want you to think about this. When you sin against God, this is the God who beckons storm clouds and they come. It's the God who tells the wind and the rain when to blow and fall and they do it immediately. It's the God who says to the mountains, you go here and to the sea, you go there and you stop there. And they do it. Everything in all of creation responds in obedience to the creator until you get to man. And you and I have the audacity to look at God in his face and say no. And that's rebellion against God. And it is sin today. Not only have we rebelled against God, we have been separated from God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. The Lord's hand is not too short that it cannot reach you, nor his ear too heavy that he cannot hear. But you and your sin has separated you from your God. And this idea of the least thing that's against God is sin. And oftentimes we think about sin as it relates to people. We don't carry the idea or the truth that because of this sin is against God, it separates us from him. But the reality is one sin, no matter how small we might classify it, is against an infinitely holy God. And if it's against the infinitely holy God, it's infinitely serious and it has infant separation. We're separated from God. One sin, any sin, involves looking in the face of God saying your law is no good, your judgment is, my judgment is better, your authority does not apply to my life, I'm above your jurisdiction, and I defy you and I insult your holiness. This is what's involved in one sin. And if we started tallying up the sins in this room, it's millions. 
of sins against God. If you live just 50 years, you know how many sins you have committed against God? It's insane. The sin that has been committed against God represented just in this room today. And we are separated. Man is separated. Humanity is separated from God. And because we've rebelled against God and because we've been separated from God, we are dead without God. Ephesians 2.1 is a great reminder. And you who were dead. He had quickened us, but you were who dead in what? Your trespasses and your sin. The result of our deadness and sin, we are completely unable to save ourselves. How can someone who has died bring himself to life? There's three things, physically and spiritually, that man cannot do once he dies. He has no awareness of God. If you're in here today and you are spiritually dead, you are lost in your sins, you've never asked Jesus, you've never repented, and asked Jesus to save you and, and make Him Lord and Savior of your life, if you've never come to that place... You have no awareness of God. The Bible says we don't even understand. We're running away from Him. Dead people have no appetite. So then there's no appetite for God. We, we don't desire God in, in our sin. And then there's no ability to get to God. Because a dead person has no ability to move. And yet all the time we're saying, well, I found Jesus... No, you didn't, because Jesus wasn't lost. And you didn't have the ability to find Jesus because you had no awareness, no appetite, nor ability. We are dead without God. Now, are we getting to the core of the gospel whenever we can think about how, how uh, devastating sin is and how lost we are? Then you're getting to the core of the gospel. I believe one of the things wrong with sharing the gospel today is we tell people to, you know, hey, if you'll just, just do A, B, and C, you can be saved and nobody ever understands their lostness. Can I tell you something? If you will never understand the depth of God's love and His forgiveness, if you don't understand how lost you are. If all you do is just say a prayer and you don't re just recall how lost you are and how much you are in need of Jesus, how is it that you can understand God's forgiveness and His love? And I believe that's why there's a lot of people running around struggling today on whether or not they're saved is because they've never seen themselves lost. The Bible says that He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And if you don't find yourself lost, then how can you be found by God? So we're, we're dead without Him. We cannot save ourselves. No matter how much we pray, no matter how much we study our Bible, no matter how much we go to church, no matter how much we worship, no matter how much good we do in the world, how many charities we give to, how many people we serve, we cannot save ourselves because we are dead without Jesus Christ. And He's the one that convicts us, gives us the faith to believe in Him in the first place. So we are dead without Him. That's the indictment, the charges. You've rebelled, you're separated, and you're dead. That stings. I know, I understand. This stings humanity because we like to think of ourselves as good. But then he rolls out the evidence. 
He says in verse 10, as it is written, and he goes back and he pulls out these Old Testament passages. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. Look in verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So the evidence is we are ruined by the effect of sin. 10 through 12 and then verse 18 speaks of a ruined relationship with God. We do not acknowledge God, is what he says. Fix this firmly in your mind. Sin is mainly a condition against what we have right there, the rebellion against God, not mainly a condition against other people. David, even in the midst of his sin with Bathsheba, where he committed adultery and then he turned and had Uriah killed, whenever he come to repentance, he said, it is you and you only, Lord, that I've sinned against. He recognized that he had a ruined relationship with God because of the sin in his life. This is why it's so sad and pointless when people argue that they're pretty good people and don't need the gospel. I heard it said like this, man. Sometimes we're in America. It's like when you share the gospel, it's like throwing a tennis ball against a brick wall. It just comes right back to you. Because people don't want to admit that they're bad. They don't want to admit that they need Jesus. What they mean is that they treat other people decently. People say, well, I don't steal. I ain't killed anybody. I haven't went out and committed one of those, you know, top alias crimes. I don't swear much. I give to charity. I'm a pretty good person. But that's not the question. The question is, as Jesus told the rich young ruler, he says, man, I am thankful that you haven't done that, but go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And he said no. And the Bible says he walked away grieved. Because this is the main question. Do you love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Because if that's the greatest commandment, then the greatest sin would have to be not loving Him with all your heart, not loving Him with all your soul, not loving Him with all your mind, and not loving Him with all your strength. What I want you to see is that the sin is against God. God is the most important person in the universe it is not a mark of virtue to do nice things for people while leaving having no love or reverence for Jesus. We do not desire God. Seeking God is a heart issue. So since man's heart is against God, he has to seek us. That's why the Bible says that in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8, after Adam and Eve had sinned, that it says that God came down in the cool of the day and he was looking for Adam and Eve, which I believe that God knew exactly where Adam and Eve were. He just wanted them to know where they were. And they asked the question, where are you? And it says they hid themselves from him. Why? It's because when we're in our sin, we don't want to be around God. We don't want to be in his presence. Yet, Jesus came to seek and to save those that are lost. When we're in our sin and it... And the evidence just keeps piling up against us. We do not revere God. 
When we sin, we say that we need something more than God. We say that God is not sufficient for us, but our sinning says that we need more. So people just keep sinning. They keep getting deeper and deeper. We treat God like the prodigal son treated the father and said, give me everything I have. Give me my life and let me go live it the way that I want to live it. And you stay out of the way. This again is another lie that we believe. Man was created to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So when we sin, we say that we are created to glorify ourselves and enjoy us forever. And this exchange is a truth for a lie. It replaces the Creator with the creature, and there is no greater sin than to fall short of what God created us to do, and that's to glorify His name. So the evidence just keeps pouring out against us. Look in verse 13 through 17. This is against mankind. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is, on, is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. It ruins relationship with people, too. The way we talk about people, the way we treat people, being under sin means that our relationships with people are ruined, even though God's common grace may restrain us from treating people as badly as we might. Think about how often you maybe want to say something or want to uh, have uh, revenge on somebody, but all of a sudden something comes over you and says, stop. That's the restraining hand of the grace of God in your life to keep you from doing something later that you would regret. Graves have to do with death and venom, as he talks about, as poison that has to do with death. And that is what deception and cursing produce. That's the things when whenever we slander people or we talk about people and all that, what we're doing is we're, we're, we're just spewing poison out of our mouth that produces death. The mouth was meant to give life, but sin turns it into a place of poison and death. John Piper says this. This is what happens when God is not sought or known or reverenced. If God were to slacken his restraining bands in this world, it would descend into anarchy. That's why there are governments and policies and armies. By nature, we would take vengeance on every offense and our feet would run to shed blood if we were not restrained. We see it, for example, in the looting of societies where the infrastructure collapses, and we sh would see it here because this is what it means to be under sin. Human relationships are ruined because of sin. So the evidence is, is we're under the effect of sin. And because of that, we have a ruined relationship with God. And we have a ruined relationship with man. And justice demands... Payment. So in the closing argument of justice, I believe it, he would say something like this. It is a debt, a burden, a thief, a sickness, a cancer, a plague, a poison, a serpent, a sting. 
It curses and brings calamities. It is a crushing pressure. It digs a grave. It steals. It murders. It deceives. It breaks the hearts of parents. It changes gentle children into vipers, mothers into monsters, and fathers into cowards. It divides Christ's seamless robe. It divides churches and families. It flatters. It stings. It lures. It drags to despair. It turns the gentle hearts to stone, and it impels the sinner and drags him to hell. It is sin. So the evidence is stacked against us. So it's like on any trial, we have to stand and understand that there have been charges brought against us as humans. We've all a sin. There's none righteous. We understand that we've rebelled against God. The evidence has been poured out against us, so now all we can do is wait for the verdict. Verse 19, he says this, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. All the world may become guilty before God. All the world. All of the United States, all of Tennessee, all of Fett County, all of Warren Church, all of our homes are guilty before God. The verdict is this, we are guilty because of our sin. We are accountable to God. He's our creator and he's also our judge. The final verdict then, it is unredeemed mankind has no defense whatsoever and is guilty of all charges. The only thing that you could say in this instance is I'm guilty. I'm guilty, God. I don't think about you. I run from you. I don't desire you. I treat others badly. These are the things that have been piled up against us. And because of the omnipotent, omniscient, holy creator, there is no possibility of acquittal. Because God is just. And what we need to see in the church today, and what we need to understand, that as much as God is love, God is also wrath. As much as God is merciful, He also has to judge because that's who He is. And He can't divide that. And so you and I stand before Him guilty. Verse 20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, get this right here, no flesh will be justified in His sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Justice demands payment. We're all guilty. And because God is just, there is no acquittal. We can't plead our case. We can't go to God and say, yeah, but God, I was better than that person. I went to church more. I got more gold stars by my name. I went to more revivals. God, I gave more to the people that need. Lord, I went on more mission trips. God, I served in the church from the time my kids were little until they graduated. We can't plead that case. We can't look and go, but God, they didn't do anything. Look at them. They just came and soaked up. God, they don't even come to church at all. Some of them only come during Easter and Christmas. I'm better than they are. There's no pleading our case. Because we are all sinners. 
And so we deserve the wrath of God. God's anger is holy. But God's just. I mean, His punishment is just. And I just want to read to you in closing today. Just an excerpt. From Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God from Jonathan Edwards that was preached in 1741. And they said that this message was so powerful that people would literally jump and grab the pillars in the church with their arms and pull their feet up off of the ground because they felt the, the fire of hell on their feet. And this was preached by a man that was nearsighted and monotone. So best he could do is hold his Bible like this and read. And this is what he said. The wrath of God is like great waters that are, are restrained for the present. But they increase more and more. They rise higher and higher till an outlet is given. And the longer the stream is stopped, the more rapid and mighty is its course when once it is let loose. It is true that judgment against your evil works has not been executed. The floods of God's vengeance have been withheld, but your guilt in the meantime is constantly increasing and you are, very, are every day treasuring up more wrath. The waters are constantly rising and waxing more and more mighty and there is nothing but the mere pleasure of God that holds the waters back, that are unwilling to be stopped and pressed hard to go forward. If God should only withdraw his hand from the floodgate, it would immediately fly open and the fiery floods of the fierceness and wrath of God would rush forth with inconceivable fury and would come upon you with omnipotent power. And if your strength were 10,000 times greater than the strength of the stoutest, sturdiest devil in hell, it would be nothing to withstand or endure it. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. There is none who have fear of God. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin is death. But justice demands payment. There is no acquittal except when justice looked at God and said, for the wages of sin is death. But Jesus pipes in. And Jesus says, yeah, but the gift of God is eternal life for all who will accept it. So God told justice, go on down to Mount Calvary and wait. And then one Friday, Jesus showed up with the cross on his back. And Jesus got on that cross and He bled and He died so that you and I could be pardoned, acquitted, and set free from the sin that we are under today. And Jesus told justice, He said, I'll take the payment, I'll pay the price, I'll pardon them, I'll take it all upon me, I will take God's wrath and let Him pour it out on me because I love them and I want to save them and I want to live in them and I want to spend eternity with them 
him. And so Jesus came. But early one Sunday morning, he got up out of the grave. He stood victorious over death. He stands victorious over sin. He stood victorious over hell. And today, the same power that brought Jesus out of the grave lives inside of us. If you in here today and you're lost, it could live inside of you too. And that's why I cling to the old rugged cross. That's why I believe in the old rugged cross and the blood that Jesus shed at Calvary for me is because I once was a sinner lost on my way to hell, but justice demanded payment and Jesus stepped in. And today, I don't know where you are. I don't know where you stand with Christ, but I'm telling you today, you do not have to remain in your sin. So the good news comes next week. Man, today I can see Jesus on the cross just pleading your case. If you're in here today and you're lost, I want to tell you that the evidence is piled up against you and there is nothing that you can do. All you can do is that when the Holy Spirit of God convicts your heart of sin, it's to get up out of that seat. And make your way down the aisle. And I believe this today with all my heart. I believe just as the prodigal son was making his way home. And his dad looked out across the way. And he saw him coming. And it says that the father ran to him. I believe today that if the Holy Spirit of God is convicting your heart of sin. And he's drawing you to salvation. That if you'll take the first step. The Holy Spirit's going to meet you right where you are. And the next step is going to be easier. And the next step's going to be easier. And you're going to find yourself on bending knees going, God, I'm a sinner. And I need saved. I need you today to cleanse me from my sin. So today is the day of salvation. You don't have to walk out of here living in Romans 3, 9 through 20 today. Can walk out of here living victorious because you are now a child of God. And for the Christians in the room today, I often shudder seriously when I have to preach a message like this and a message on hell. But I'm reminded as a believer, this should drive me to worship. This should drive me to humility. This should drive me to my knees and just say, God, I can't believe you love me that much. That you sent Jesus to take on your wrath and pay my sin debt so that I could be adopted into your family. It should drive us to absolute worship for Jesus today. So there's no reason that any of us should want to sit still today. And not not come and go, God, thank you. God, I praise you that I don't have to spend eternity separated from you. And I am one that you quickened out of my trespasses and out of my sins. I'm telling you, church, we have got to see that people are dying without Jesus and we have the answer. The same God that rescued you wants to rescue others today. So we should be on our knees going, God, I thank you for what you've done. But Lord, send sinners my way so I can share the glorious 
gospel of Jesus Christ with them. Father, I want to see them saved. So it's your choice today, church. What will we do? Will we worship? Will we praise Him? Will we thank Him? And if you're in here today and you're lost, man, Pastor Ken's going to be down. I'm going to be down. We would love for you to come and be able to open up and show you out of the truth of this Bible right here, God's Word, how to be saved. And so I'm going to pray and they're going to sing. And it's on us today. What will we do with what God just said? Father, we come to you, God. We thank you that you have saved wretched, rotten, dirty sinners like us. God, I'm thankful that I can cling to the old rugged cross. God, I'm thankful that one day I'm going to trade it for a crown and I'm going to get to lay it at your feet. God, thank you for saving me. God, today as believers, God, we need you to move in our midst. We need you to draw us, God, to worship and draw us to repentance if there's sin in our life. God, if there's somebody in this place who does not know that they're saved, God, they're struggling with it, they have a hope so salvation, Father, I pray that today they'll come realizing that, God, the only thing holding back your wrath in their life is your mere goodness. So, God, I pray that they'll respond to the call of the Holy Spirit today. And, God, in this moment, we're going to give you all the praise and all the glory, and all the honor that you deserve, and it's you and you alone. And we pray that in the mighty, matchless, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You can stand this morning, and if you need to come, I invite you to come. Thank you for listening to Sunday Sermons. If you want to learn more about us, visit warrencommunitychurch.org.